We are a part of a kingdom of Jesus Christ that is moving forward with the miraculous power of his presence. And our dreams and our thoughts and our hopes for what we want to do on this earth are too small a thing because we're a part of his church. And Jesus himself is building his church and it's a place of miracles. And so I just, I jotted this down. This is probably going to find itself into my notes for a while. And that um, chapter, which was chapter what of the book of Isaiah? It was chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. is a great chapter for us just to kind of look and say, Lord, let us not dream too small of a thing. Let us consider that you are a God who, and I know some of you are, are like Nehemiah. You're up on a wall and you can't come down. You're in this movement and Isaiah would have said to you, so am I. And yet the Lord came and said, I know that you're speaking to Israel and it's a good, it's a good people and it's my chosen people, but here's the reality. There is a bigger, more beautiful, more glorious picture that I'm about. And so Isaiah, that's too small a thing. I want my name to carry to the nations. And so regardless, I would say to you of the scope of what you're involved with, as because you're a part of the miracle movement of the living God, what you're involved with is too small of a thing. And there's just an, an excitement exuberating through the room right now. And so um, I want, if you would, to turn um, to the Luke, the 23rd chapter, and I'm going to land there. But I want to read before um, I get to Luke, the 23rd chapter, why you should sense in the very core of your being that um, what you're about is too small of a thing. Because as if you were in, in small group this morning, in our Bible study groups this morning, you heard Ezra the prophet just speak over the body of believers, be diligent, do not give up, persevere, ground yourself in the word, look at one another, and this would be a beautiful thing in light of the scripture, look at one another and simply say to one another, don't believe small things from God. Christ is building his church and it's a place of miracles. And so don't believe something small. I want want to just come alongside you. And I know that some of you are running and you are running full speed. Some of you have been running. And if you read the lesson today, we were, you've been 16 years on the sidelines. And I just want to kind of come back and encourage you that perseverance is critical in the heart of God and diligence is, is critical in the heart of God. So stop not dreaming. Stop stopping dreaming. Dream again because what you are thinking right now is too small a thing. And I really want you to dream about the kingdom of Christ and the fact that he does want to carry his name to the nations and he has given a conduit through which he's going to do that. It's called the church. And if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're kind of going, I'm a part of something I think that's pretty significant, Jesus would have agreed with you. He was having this dialogue with the disciples um, before he gave his life and he just kind of said, I, I know that there are a variety of thoughts about me out there. And in fact, this is what this person is saying and this is what this person is saying. And there's a lot of people saying some things about me, but I want to cut to the chase. Let me ask you guys, what are you saying? Better stated, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Peter said um, this, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Peter, you're blessed. 
Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood didn't give this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, lest you begin to think for a moment that you're in a small thing, in a small church, in a small, well, it's not a small town, but a little small section of Mandarin. Here's what Jesus would say about a group of people who are looking. And remember, remember, that this group that's hearing this right now, in just a few minutes are going to scatter in fear. And in trembling, they're going to deny. I mean, 12 out of 12 will walk into a place of denial. And here's what Jesus is saying about them. And I would love to um, entertain this idea of what he thinks of us today in this miracle movement. Because here's what he said about them. You, um, you Peter, this confession of the lordship of who I am, I'm going to build my church on this. And here's what you have to understand. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're hearing me right now, but I believe that today in this moment, and even as you go forward for the next days, you're going to fail to believe this because you are believing too small a thing. You are believing in yourself. But I'm going to give you, Peter, and I'm going to give those who follow me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. And so this group who would ultimately scatter, he's looking at them and saying, I am going to breathe onto you much as I breathe life into the the, the first people who walk this earth. I am going to breathe the rarefied air of my presence into your spirit and into your church. And you are going to move in such a manner that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And you are going to move in such a manner that what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And I am asking you not to believe a small thing. I'm just inviting you in to advance the kingdom of Jesus and the glory of His name. And I, I just want to say this. This is coming up on the screen. It's a simple statement, but it's not. It's significant. Christ will and is building His church. He's breathing life into it, and we're part of a miracle. So please don't stumble along on small dreams, but move into this reality of the presence of who God is. Christ is, is in this middle of this moment. They, this group gathered as the church was launched, but I want to back up a step from this group, but this group gathered and they prayed together. And they said, Lord, we want you to move. They met in an upper room and they waited and prayed and prayed and waited. You heard this last week. And in the midst of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And this this mob of misfits, which would describe most of us, They they struggled to understand what was being said and taught of them. They struggled even to hear what you're going to loose in heaven. It's what you loose on earth is going on in heaven. What you're going to be about, you're going to walk about with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Don't believe small things, church. They're going to struggle because they're looking at their own strength. And I was actually sitting on the front row kind of preparing for this moment of how do I get us into this message and just sitting and worshiping throughout the day. And I actually stopped and paused for a moment. And I thought as I knew I was going to read Matthew 16, I knew this. God really believed in that those, that group of people, that mob of misfits. And then I was smiling on the front row going, no, he didn't. 
Jesus really believed in himself. He believed in the power of his father. He believed in the outpouring of the Spirit of God among the body of believers because if he believed in them, he would believe in 11 who would cut and run at the first time that they could and the 12th who would deny him and send him to the cross. He didn't believe in them. He believed in the power of Christ in them, the hope of glory. He was just moving along and saying, don't dream small things. I am believing that in this mob of misfits, this this movement of cowards, there's going to be this manifest power of the Spirit of God. And it's, it's going to be beautiful. And Christ in that moment was breathing on and was building His church. And what you should know about His church, it's an exceeding church. The church of Jesus is an abundant church. It's a church soaked in the majesty and the wonder of God. And I don't know what you feel like you wandered into today, or I don't know who you feel like you have belonged to for a year or two or ten years or fifty years, but I want you to know that you're a part of the movement of the wonder of God. You're invited into a Christ-soaked church. This church is robust in forgiveness. It is abounding in love. As we talked last week, all of these, by the way, are descriptives from Scripture. They're not ideas of a pastor. In Ephesians, the third chapter, Paul said, for this reason, because of the power of the gospel among you, I am going to kneel before the Father and pray that you have this grasping and understanding of who you are. And I just shared this last week, that you would understand that the Word of God and the Church of Christ is deep enough to meet you at the very depths of your soul, at the depths of your hurt, at the depths of your great things, at the depths of your sorrows. This is the church. It meets us in our pain and suffering, our rejoicing and our goodness, and it carries us from there. This church moves to the margins as you test its wits to be able to say, I know that you look at the marginalized in this society, but I want you to know that my gospel moves there. And I want to invite you to those edges so that you can carry both those in the very bowels of the pain of this life and the edges of this life wondering where they fit so that you can meet them and you and I can say, we have been to the heights. We have tasted and seen that our God is good and we want to carry you there because we have seen the heights of the love of God. We have experienced the mercy and the grace of the love of God in Christ and we know that it's deep enough to meet you. We know that it can go off the pages of this world and meet you in the margins. We know that and we know that the heights of the love of God are more than sufficient. So we're inviting you there. Jesus was drawn to those whose lives were not put together. And I think that it was extraordinarily challenging for him to move within those who felt like they could own their own lives and move forward in a control of environment that they saw fit. Jesus said, that's probably not a movement that is of me. Because my movement will be completely and utterly out of the control of what they can pull off. And it will be completely and utterly in the control of what my God desires to do. And so don't dream too small. And so just to explore 
the people that Jesus used would be to come alongside and have a few weeks to talk about who we are as a church, but really to look back and talk about how he, how he's growing his church and who he chooses to use in the midst of that. Whether it be like a vapor, I would say to you that who we're going to study in the 23rd chapter of the book of Luke, his life was but a vapor except that we are 2,000 years later talking about him. And we are talking about who Jesus chooses to use in the magnitude of his moment. Jesus is glorious in reaching to the edges. Um, my parents, right after graduation from the Mighty Saints of Sandalwood High School, Yeah, I mean, Poochie and Kathy, we're, we're it. But after the graduation from the Mighty Saints of Sandalwood High School, our family moved to Virginia Beach, Virginia for three years. If you've been in the Navy, you've hung out in Virginia Beach probably at some point, or uh, Mayport, or, I don't know, Mayport's here, or Norfolk, or Portsmouth, or any of those areas. And there's this extraordinary place that, in my mind, by the end, I hope you see it as a picture of the place of miracles. Because there's this extraordinary place there, and um, arguably and statistically, I couldn't find anything that would not quantify this, but I'm not going to stand on that statement yet. But arguably, so I'll leave it there, it is the most visited park in the state of Virginia. And you might find one that's better, so I'm not saying, I'm not staking my life on that, but over a million people as of the statistic in 2011 visit this park on a, on a, um, weekly, yearly, I don't know, sometime basis, pretty doggone often. And it's an amazing park. Anybody in Virginia Beach area want to give conjecture as to what park that is? You're on it, buddy. I'm telling you, Navy all the way. It's a great park. It's called Mount Trashmore. Anybody have conjecture why it's called Mount Trashmore? It's a landfill. Potentially, it's either a negative statement about Virginians, which I would never make because I love Virginians. My brother lives there. Or it's a statement about how amazing Mount Trashmore is, but the top place to visit in the state of Virginia is a landfill. So you're not impressed yet? Let me just read you a little bit about this. This was amazing. You too can find it online. It's 60 feet high, uh, 800 feet wide. Facilities involve 11 picnic shelters, playgrounds, basketball courts, volleyball areas, parking. I don't know why you would pitch this, but they have vending machines. I don't know why that's important, but I thought I should read it to you. They have multiple trails, including the Perimeter Trail, the Lake Trail, the Mountain Trail. Now, keep in mind that this is Mount Trashmore, built on a trash dump. And so this is a big pitch for them. You can fish there. Hope you enjoy that supper. (laughs) That would be, yeah. Two lakes for fishing, and where fishing is permitted. They should put eating is not. And so... um, this is, I, I got a kick out of this. This wasn't there when I lived there. There's a little mini skate park, but Mount Trashmore now has a skate park. It's amazing. I'm not going to read to you all about it other than that there's a bowl that's seven feet deep. There's a, a vert ramp that's 13 feet deep. And oh, by the way, Tony Hawk has been by there. For those skaters in the room, that's pretty awesome. And that, there, are there pictures? Yeah, pictures have been going behind me. That's Mount Trashmore. I meant to say there's, there's Kids Cove. Your children, too, can play on the wonderland called Mount Trashmore. Just this is, this is what I would say as I read Luke, the 23rd chapter. And I want to come back to this and end here. 
But in Luke, the 23rd chapter is the place of Golgotha. It's the place of crucifixion. It's the place where Jesus and two others would give their lives at the hands of Rome. If you would like to look at it from a temporary perspective, or you would give their lives at the sovereign divine call of the living God who put on flesh and came and dwelt among us without um, any any pandering or thought went to the cross on Golgotha for the sacred sacrifice of mankind. And what you have to know is archaeologists and his, historical archives would tell us is that Golgotha was a landfill. Unlike Mount Trashmore, it was an active landfill. It was putrid. It was disgusting. It was repulsive. Here's what you should know. Many, um, the, the Rome's um, punishment was often severe for minimal crimes. And so Rome felt it a great privilege to hang you upon a cross for pretty much anything you desired to do so that they would stymie crime in their region. And so many that were hung, the family was um, ashamed to come and, and fetch them from the cross upon death. And so after a Sabbath death, they would just be peeled from the cross. And so this place called Golgotha was not only a trash dump, but it was a dump for lives and physical bodies, which then invited in the feral animals of all sorts that would come in and feast there. This is the ultimate place where you see Jesus launching, if you will, and I might be stretching theologically on this, so let me just kind of ponder with you. This is where you see Jesus launching His church. This is where you see the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ prevailing because as you read in Luke the 23rd chapter, verses 32 and 33, there's something powerful. He says in here that he was, he was giving his life. I'm looking at the wrong verses, or I'm looking at the wrong chapter, Luke 23, 32. It says that he was giving his life beside two criminals. God chose in this, and this is what I want you to catch. God chose in this to put him in proximity in his death, not as a solo death. I know that we celebrate often the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in his death, but it was not a solo death that he gave. He died with two criminals beside him. He died in the midst of this, in what you see I call as the, the challenge of dichotomy of life, the reaching out and the desire for more. Please don't shrink your story down to your circumstance. There is more that God is doing in this. And Jesus did not die alone so that we could stand in and sing of the cross, although we should. But He died next to two criminals saying, I am building my church in this. I am building my church. And I was on one page over. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha. The putrid pit of sin and shame. I just want to say, and this is popping up on the screen, this is hugely important for you and me. Christ is building His church and He does it in the middle of our mess. He is building His church and He does something remarkable and beautiful in the midst because where Jesus builds His church is in the middle of trash bins, in the midst of death. And He says, I want to step into this and speak life. 
We know very little about the criminals, but we know this, that the public forum was a place where they would give their lives so that they would be a detriment to future criminals. He writes in this, Luke B. writes in this in verse 35, that people would just come by and they would watch and they would scoff and they would say, you saved others, Jesus. Save yourself. Step down. Move off the cross. And I love this thought that Christ was silent. Not that he lacked in passion. Not that he lacked in conviction. He was silent because he knew what his purpose was. And while there were others that would mock him for believing that there was a greater story than the present, he understood that the greater story of the glory of God was on the line. And therefore the present story is easily to be mocked. But there is a future story and it's a glorious story. So Jesus is building his church in the middle of the mess because it is a miracle church, everyone. And you are a people who are dangling in this earth and many of us are sitting in the midst of Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of the trash bin, and wondering, God, what are we worth to you? What does this mean for us? And as you read the story and carry on, one of the criminals hurled taunts at him. His life was without a doubt one that was deeply wounded and that one that was broken. And I um, have shared earlier this week with friends, wounded people wound. And this is what's painful for us as we walk this earth and we wonder, God, how do I perpetuate the gospel? It is just simply in this. I will continue to move toward you. I will continue to give my life for you. I will continue to lay down my life for you because you're wounding me because you're wounded. And I have come to bind the brokenness of mankind. My name is Jesus. I know that you're wounded. I know that I can't solve it temporarily. So here I am with outstretched arms. And your last words may be words of wounding but I have come to bind the brokenhearted. And I have come to set the prisoner free. Whether the imprisoned on the cross receive it or not is not my mission. I have come to bring hope to mankind. And promise. And passion. In Luke 23, 40 and 41, there's a response. The other criminal railed to him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But the other looked at him and rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the reward of our deeds, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. He turned to thief. I don't know all of his words. Is that it? It took great energy. As you are around people who wound you or hurt you, what you have to understand is it take, it takes great energy to even speak from the cross because you are dying not from the nails that penetrate you, although we sing about that. You're dying from asphyxiation. You're dying because you're dangling from the cross and your lungs have no breath and you're pushing up off of feet that have been broken for many but have been pierced for Jesus. You are lifting up with the strength of your arms to say anything that you have to say and wounded wound because they're wounded. Those who are pursuing hope are saying, what are you saying? We belong here in this pit. But this man, he has done nothing. And there is the most powerful miracle of the launching of the church made statement in Luke the 23rd chapter verse 42 that should be the statement of the entirety of this room. If we are to be a people that listen to Isaiah and allow 
the truth of the scripture to be read over us and to pierce our hearts. If we are a people who are sitting in this room and saying, Oh, Holy Father, please do not let me believe too little, but let me believe greatly in who you are. If we're a people who are going to listen to Matthew 16 and heaven forbid, blow it off and say, Oh, keys to the kingdom of heaven, another nice sermon. Part of the church, been there and done that. No, no. If we're a people who will sit in this room and say, God, in the brokenness and the mess of this world, you could use me. I don't want to shrink down to, to shrink down the story. Or I just want to read the words of scripture because they're far more beautiful and far more powerful. Oh, holy God, that this would be true of me. Please don't let me say this is too small of a thing. Help me, Lord. He, he looked at Jesus in the 23rd chapter. And after he is saying, you did nothing wrong, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is, I, I am, I don't know how to say this. So I am sitting in this room asking you to believe in a God who longs to do remarkable things among his church. This guy, I mean, that's faithless bordering on this guy. This guy is breathing the last moments or hours of his life looking at a man who is also breathing as best he can see, except he sees more, who is breathing the last moments of his life. And he is by faith looking at him and saying, I want you to remember me because there's a kingdom that you're about that is far bigger than this skull, this Golgotha, this landfill where we have found ourselves. And so, Jesus, I am asking you to remember me. The beginning of the movement of a church that is a church of miracles is not a group of people who sit in a room, discern our circumstances, look at Jesus and say, come on in. It is a group of people who wherever we are and whatever we're about and whatever is going on is looking at Jesus on a day in and day out basis and saying to Him, remember me. And I will remember you. And I will spend my last moments worshiping you. And from a crucifix in the middle of a landfill with wretched bodies around him, this guy is looking at him and saying, I believe more. Jesus just answered him. And I say to you, My love for you can plumb the depths of death. My love for you can walk to the edge of the margins of the cross. My love for you can dig into the bowels of this landfill. My love for you can move in this direction. And my love for you right now will lift you off this cross even as you dangle for a few more hours. And today, in this moment, right now, you will spend forever in eternity. And so if we're going to breathe a few more moments, let's breathe in the rarefied air of eternity on this earth. And let's worship. Because we have no other choice. Our arms are wide. Let's worship the Lord. And maybe, just maybe 2,000 years from now, someone will speak of this story and how Jesus birthed His church from the cross. Jesus, remember us. What, what gathered this confidence? 
I am very sure that these guys heard Jesus say, my body, as he walked about and taught in earlier days, will be broken for you. My blood will be spilled for your forgiveness. You'll betray me, you'll fail me. And I'm going to do a work that will raise you up. I am Jesus and I am bringing new life and I am bringing new hope. I will be crucified, died, and buried, but it is not done. I will carry the guilt and shame of the world. I will go to the margins. I will go to the depths. And I will proclaim from the heights the goodness of the Father. Christ will build His church. And He will build it in the midst of trash. Here's, here's, here's what you should know. I just put this note down to myself. Because I don't want to forget this. Christ will build His church. And His church is a place of miracles. And I just, I just want to share with you, and I, I, I don't, I've prayed through, just Jesus, let this settle in our core. Here's what you should know. Mount Trashmore is amazing. Here's the line that's in the notes that I read about it. It's one of the last lines. It's kind of a little warning. When there's warm weather, the area still stinks. Yeah, we can have a heyday there. We can run and play. We could, we could get in our car and drive about 11 hours right now and we could find ourselves at one of the most visited parks in Virginia and we could have an extraordinary day because it's cool weather. But at the end of the day, I can rent an excavator and potentially go to jail for this, but I can rent an excavator, take it into the middle of the mount and dig it in and pull out and help us to recognize we are still sitting on a pile of trash. You are living in a miracle. It's not the case with us. This is not the message of the day. Come romp on my landfill because Jesus has done something beautiful with that. He's made a place where people could play on my landfill and it's good. That's not the message of this miracle that you're a part of. If you want to be in the church, here's what you have to understand about the miracle of Jesus. Jesus didn't come and cover over your mountain of sin or my mountain of sin. I have often read the verse and wondered what this meant. And this week, it just struck me as I studied this session. God, if I can have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll move mountains. I've often thought about it in context of ministries I've been with. I've often thought about it in context of missions that I've been involved with. I've often thought in context of multiple other venues as I parent my kids. God, I want you to move mountains. I don't know that until this week I've ever realized that God has moved the mountain in my life. And the reason I'm a part of this church is because I'm a part of a miracle. Because Jesus in the justifying work of the cross did not cover over my sin. Jesus came and as I faith my life in Him, He removed my sin. He covered over my sin. He moved it wholly. He moved the mountain of the debt of sin that surrounded me, that held me down. And there is no stench that comes off of me but the fragrance of the living God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not inviting you in to say, let's make a good thing on a Mount Trashmore. I'm inviting you in to a mountain-moving Savior. 
and a rescue of divine and epic proportion. And I'm inviting those of you who are in Christ to stop saying, oh, that's, that smell just... No, no. There is a rising up for those of us who believe of what Jesus has done for us and the weight of what He has done for us and the glory of who He is to us so that we long for Him. And some of you have come in your mind to the rescue of Jesus while the mountain has just been covered over. And can I just suggest to you that that is not salvation. Being a part of the church historically for you for a long period of time or because your mom and dad trust in this is not salvation. Here's what it says of salvation in the Scripture so that my words are not the important words. You and you and you in Colossians, the second chapter, were dead in your sins. You were a dumpster fire. You were a landfill. But here's what Jesus did. He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all your trespasses. He moved that mountain by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. And then, this is where I love Jesus, He likes to celebrate a little more than us Baptists because He then disarmed all the rulers and the authorities. He put them to shame and they rejoiced in the streets over this. They rejoiced over their great salvation. And so we walk in freedom and we walk in hope. And we walk as a people who are redeemed and restored. We walk in the fullness of this extraordinary Greek word called justification, meaning that Jesus didn't take our sins and say, I will, I will hold that for later. He took our sins and marked them and certified them and mangled them at the cross and He covered them and He buried them and they are removed from us. And once and forever, He seated us in Him for His glory. Have you received that Jesus? Have you come to know that Jesus? And I'm not asking if you're believing this morning, like some of us are part of a miracle. You're like a little half amen. Perhaps the reason that we are not necessarily fully amazed by the miracle of His church is because many of us have not been fully amazed by the scope of His work in us. We have not believed that our God not can move mountains, but He has moved the mountain of our sin. And in doing so, all all we can do is stand. And so Jesus, if You give me five more minutes on this earth, or if You give me five more years, I will glorify You. Christ is building His church in a landfill. I don't know how many are in this room. In 300 landfills. He stands in the midst saying, I can move this. I can move this. You don't have to you don't have to live with the stench. I can move this. I can move this. And the most powerful words that you could speak today would be these words. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, rescue me.
And in doing so, I'll, I'll see miracles. Jesus, you are a mountain-moving rescuer. And I pray that you will settle that in the hearts of those of us who have gathered to worship in this room. God, I pray that you will help us to recognize who you are raising up as your church. For those of us in this room who have called on the name of the Lord and been saved, God, allow us to come back and stand somewhere in the vicinity of remembrance of our stench and praise you today as we worship you in the flat land of forgiveness. Jesus, for those in this room who have built our relationship with you on our deeds, I pray today that you would have us cry out that you remember us. Jesus, I pray that you as a mountain-moving Savior will move mountains of self and goodness in this room for gospel and greatness in this room. Jesus, we love you. As we sing a closing song that just says, I'll stand with arms wide and hearts open. There is not a better song that could be sung in light of the scriptural text that we focused on this morning. And I just want to tell you, Dr. Dan will be here at the front. I will be here at the front. As needed, other pastors or leaders can be here at the front. I am not inviting you this morning to believe in yourself. I have prayed over this and invited the living God to move mountains this morning. So if you're in this room and you have not come to know Jesus as rescuer and redeemer, if you brought into this room some form of religion, I just want to invite you to come and settle this and meet a mountain moving Jesus. And so as pastors, we would love to just talk with you and say, this is what it looks like to look at Jesus and say, remember me. So I, I'm praying that salvation rises up today. As we sing, we will be here at the front. If you would like to talk about that rescue, we'll meet you here. But there are those of us, on the other hand, who know Jesus. And we keep standing on the edge of our, our mountain. I'm just praying for you this morning that there would be Worship that would unfold as we sing this song. That you would realize that you've been standing on looking at a mountain that is a mirage created by Satan himself. That there is no mountain of sin if you're in Jesus. There is no mountain of shame. He has gone to the depths and he has stepped to the margins of your life and he has carried you to the heights and you are seated with him in God. So I'm not just inviting those who need to move a mountain to come and talk to a pastor, but I'm inviting those of you who have forgotten to remember. To come with hearts of worship to a Savior who has, who has not only disarmed the powers over you, but has made a spectacle of them in the streets. Join Him in making a spectacle of sin and shame and make a wonderance 
of the cross of Christ. So very simply stated, if you're in this room and need to know a mountain-moving Jesus, we'll be here at the front during this song. If you just want to come and worship, flood this altar. Lift holy hands where you are. Sing this song. Revel in Jesus. Believe in a miracle. Don't settle for things too small. Worship a Savior. Would you stand with me and respond as the Holy Spirit leads in this moment in worship and in song?